It is uh, good to be with you. I'm going to take a moment or two before I get started in today's message to do about three things. One, I'm going to tell you a little bit about ministry to the military and internationals. Two, I'm going to get used to the way that my voice goes across this sanctuary. And three, I'm going to let you get used to my voice coming across this sanctuary. Um, Ministry to the Military and Internationals is the church planting ministry for overseas churches uh, for the Southeast Alabama Presbytery. We plant PCA churches near United States military installations outside of the continental United States. Right now we have seven churches, of which this church here is one. We have a church in Heidelberg. Uh, Heidelberg, what am I saying? We, in Wiesbaden, we, we had thought about Heidelberg years ago, but in Wiesbaden and in Landstuhl, which is near Ramstein uh, Air Base. And then we have one in Stavanger, Norway, uh, which there's a very small NATO installation there. That church has actually already planted two other churches that are for the Norwegian uh, community. And we have one... Uh, in uh, Italy, down in Vicenza, in about uh, 10 days, we will fly down uh, to uh, Venice and go to Vicenza for a few days uh, before we really get started with four weeks of ministry there. Uh, and then we have two of them that are over in Asia, one on the island of Guam, and the other one is in Okinawa. We are looking at planting other churches. Right now we are looking at, uh, in Germany, at the Vilsack Grafenwehr community. And the other one that we're looking at right now is in South Korea uh, near Camp Humphreys and Osan Air Base. So for you military people, you may be familiar with those communities. We are looking at taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to whomever will receive the word of God. So here in this church, it doesn't matter your background. We are here to bring the gospel of Jesus to you. I do not know everyone in this congregation. I've met a few of you and I'm going to get to know more this week. So if there are visitors here today I would encourage those who are members and regular attenders to reach out to those that have walked in the door of this church today. It is important to reach and touch people with the gospel of Jesus. I'm going to read the word of God from the book of James in just a moment. But I want to say one thing to the children before I get started today. There are four words I want you to listen for in this sermon today. Four words in particular. I want you to listen to every word, but I really want you to listen to four words. One word, the first word is faith. The idea of us having faith in God, okay? Faith. The second word is works. Because we're going to be talking about faith without works is dead. So listen for the word works. 
The third word I want you to listen to or listen for is the word light, like Jesus is the light of the world, or we have light uh, that we can see with, right? And the fourth word is the most important word, Jesus. That's the most important word I can tell you to listen to today and listen for it. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter 2, beginning with verse 14. James 2, beginning with verse 14. This is God's word. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to him, Depart in peace, be warmed and be filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then that man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. I have read from the New King James Version this morning. Uh, Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for Uh, your word. We thank you that Jesus reigns and rules. Father, we pray that during this hour we would glorify you in the reading and the preaching of the word. And Father, that our hearts would be stirred to know you, to glorify you, to seek you, to seek your kingdom and your righteousness. Thank you for Jesus the King. In his name we pray. Amen. Uh, last Sunday uh, was, I know, a special time in the life and ministry of this church. Uh, as you ordained three elders and two deacons to office, I think uh, it is important for everyone in this congregation to remember something. They don't do all the work. So today we're going to talk about how the church is to work, how we are to work. This last Sunday, not only was a day you had ordination, it was Reformation Sunday. And then Monday was uh, Reformation Day. And we all know that day is the day 
that Martin Luther's challenge to the church was uh, shown when he nailed the theses uh, to the, the door at the Wittenberg Castle uh, some several hundred kilometers from here. That challenge which Luther gave was not a new doctrine. It was an old doctrine. It was a biblical doctrine which had been somehow erased, as it were, or lost to so many for 1,500 plus years. But that doctrine came alive again when Luther brought about uh, the actions of the Reformation. Well, today, what I want to do is do a follow-up to that, but still talk about faith in action. Uh, When we have faith in action, it is important for us to remember this, that faith alone, faith alone in Jesus Christ is sufficient for our salvation. There is no other path There is no other Savior. There is no other way to have eternal life than to be redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. There was an exchange of Christ's righteousness for our sinfulness and our sinfulness for Christ's righteousness. We are saved by His merit, not our merit, not our doings, Our works do not give us eternal life. Jesus tells us in John 14, 6, that he's the way, he's the truth, he's the life, and no one comes to the Father except by him. In Acts chapter 3 and chapter 4, we read a story of a crippled man who was a beggar, and he asked for money. And Peter and John were on their way to the temple to pray. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter heals that man. Peter and John were then arrested and brought before Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas and others. And Peter and John were asked this question, by what power or name do you do this? And they seemed... You know, these people seem more concerned about their control and their power than about the mercy shown to a man who was at least 40 years old and could not walk before, but he could walk now. The people in Jerusalem knew that man. They knew who he was. He was not a man just passing through town like some carnival show or or some charlatan that just shows up in town. He didn't pretend to be crippled. He was crippled and he was healed. And then Peter pronounces in Acts chapter 4 verses 8 through 10, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. He then goes on to say, 
in Acts 4 verse 12. Many of you probably have this as a memory verse. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I say all of that to reemphasize this point, that the Bible's clear teaching is that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But the Bible also teaches us that we are to do good works. And we do those good works as a response to the saving faith that has been given to us. And today I want to take a general look at good works, but also spell out a few good works for us that we as followers of Jesus Christ can do. This sermon has one point. Now, that does not mean it's going to be a shorter sermon with just one point. But it has only one point, and it is this, that Christians are called to do good works because they have faith in Jesus Christ. Because we have faith in Jesus Christ, we are called to do good works. In our scripture reading today, we are presented with a question by the Apostle James. James is likely the brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of all people, he would have credibility in describing how we are to respond to the gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ. The question posed by James really is a theoretical or a Uh, a rhetorical question. In James 2.14, we read, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? James is almost presenting a what-if type question to us. And over the next several verses, he's going to address this theoretical question. In a sense, this is not a theological proposition or a solution being presented to us. James is not arguing that there is some path of salvation other than faith in Jesus Christ. The question is, what kind of faith is it that produces no works? How can a person claim to have faith in Jesus Christ and not do good works that will bring glory to God. In Matthew chapter 5, just after the Beatitudes, Matthew five fourteen through 16 says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The world is to see, the entire world is to see that we are doing good works so that God will be glorified. This is different 
is totally different than a warning that is given in Matthew 6 that says we are not to give alms so that others may see our giving. There are people who have needs and we should not give in a way that brings attention to us. Good works are to be done so that God is glorified and honored. I want to talk about light for a moment. Several years ago, I took uh, our sons on a tour to Mammoth Cave National Park. It is in the state of Kentucky in the United States. Mammoth Cave is, it's a right name, Mammoth, that means big, right? It is the largest cave system in the world. There are over 450 miles of caves in this national park. Doing quick math, that's about 700 kilometers, I, I think. 450 miles of caves are in the national park. And we were in this in one of the caves, in one of the big rooms in the caves, and the tour guide turned off the lights. It was totally dark. The lights remained off for a few minutes so our eyes could get adjusted to there being no light. And then a single candle was lit. And we could see people clear on the other side of the room. That little candle produced enough light so we could see faces of other tourists clear on the other side of the room, maybe 30, 40 meters away. Well, Christians have the same opportunity. The works that we can do can light up our surroundings. Just as the city on the hill with all of its lights cannot be hidden, neither can good works which are displayed before the world can be hidden. Light and darkness is brought up many times in the scripture. When God created the world, it was described as formless and filled with darkness And then God spoke, let there be light. Did you know that let there be light are the first words that are recorded in the scriptures? Let there be light. Psalm 27.1 says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Psalm 119.105 105 says, your word or thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Light does not coexist with darkness. Faith cannot coexist with a lack of works. Such a faith is a dead faith. James gives us the example of a Christian brother or sister who is poorly clothed and hungry. A faith that says, go and be fed. Or go get warm without taking some action is a useless faith. He even asked the question, what good is that faith? 
Our faith is not to be a faith that we would just hold within us. The faith that is in us should drive us to be, to be outside of ourselves. And we should be giving ourselves to others. This could look a lot of ways, and it could have a lot of different manifestations. A few weeks ago, my wife and I uh, participated in a project that our church back in Alabama helps sponsor. There's a Christian-sponsored housing and education community for those who have less income uh, than most others in our city. This ministry is purchasing old and run-down homes across about a a one-and-a-half square mile area, just under four square kilometers. And it is and, and what they are doing is they are going in and refurbishing these homes. So they are gutting them, fixing them, and restoring them. So far, about 50 of these homes, 50 of these homes have been restored. Most of them are three-bedroom, two-bath homes. Uh, and there's a school building there that it used to be a public school. But in that school now, there are posters that are filled with, uh, uh, with Bible verses on them. Now, the work that we did that day was very small. We threw out some old construction materials. We cleaned a few classrooms in the school. We emptied a few closets, uh, and we cleaned a house. But that work was part of a bigger work. And it is to make the lives better for the people in that community. That is not a government housing project. That is a Christian ministry that is occurring. Most of the people who live in these 50 or so homes are single mothers. Single moms and their children. And for 20 years, 20 years, various churches have helped with this community to provide assistance in that area. The important point I'm trying to get across is that this community is known not as a government project, but as a Christian community which is reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is being proclaimed in word and in deed. With the war that is going on in Ukraine, many refugees have fled to other countries. There are millions and millions who have fled to Poland, Romania, and other nearby countries. There are many Christian agencies and churches that have been on the front lines providing mercy uh, for these refugees. Yes, there are many secular agencies helping as well. But the ultimate act of mercy that can be performed is to provide material and spiritual help to people. The churches in our ministry, MMI, have helped. Many other churches in our denomination, the Presbyterian Church of America, have helped. But there are others across the board that have helped. James 2.18 says, But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. 
show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. The late uh, pastor James Montgomery Boyce, who pastored in Philadelphia at uh, 10th Presbyterian Church for many years, noted that there are uh, a couple of formulas that people use to explain the relationship of faith and works. It's almost like a, a math formula. One equation states that faith plus works equals justification. In other words, that formula says that uh, our justification before God depends in some sense on our works. Now, if you were taking a biblical math test, you would fail if that's your equation. There's nothing that is faith plus that equals your justification before God. Nothing. Here's the biblical formula. If you uh, equated it this way, you would get an A on your math test. Faith, our faith, equals justification plus works. Faith equals justification plus works. In other words, works are not involved in the justification that we have before God, but justification and works are part of the equation of faith. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. It's as if God has made us. He has prepared us. We have been made to do good works for the kingdom of God. Paul makes clear that our salvation is dependent on God's work and it is a gift to us. Our labors and works have nothing to do with bringing or sustaining salvation in our lives. By His grace, God has brought salvation to us. And Dr. Boyce says that this passage repudiates works. It repudiates works as contributing in any measure to our justification. But that verse 10 does show that we have a responsibility. God has created us and designed us in Christ Jesus to do good works. And these works were ordained long before we came to faith in Christ. Paul tells us that we should walk in good works. Walking implies moving and going. Walking in good works is consistent with Ephesians 4.1, which tells us to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. And it is consistent with the exhortation to walk in love, as we see in Ephesians 5.2. Galatians 5.16 tells us to walk by the Spirit. Galatians 5.25 tells us to walk or keep in step with the Spirit. If we're going to walk in the good works that God has prepared for us to do, we need to put aside the old man. 
Ephesians 2.2 tells us we once walked in the deadness of trespasses and sins. And Ephesians 4.17 commands us to no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. As God has changed our hearts from hearts of stone to hearts of flesh, as is pointed out in Ezekiel 36, our compassion for others and our support for the Christian church should grow. In the early church, Christians gave money to support other churches. And before I talk about this, I want to say something that I think is very important to you. I think the first fruits of your giving ought to be to support this church. This church, like every church, has financial needs. Your pastor needs to be paid. Your rent for this building needs to be paid. Any literature that is purchased for children's ministries or women's ministries or Bible studies needs to be purchased with funds. For this church to extend mercy to others, givers need to support the ministry of this church. In 1 Corinthians 16, the churches in Corinth and Galatia are described as ones that come together on the first day of the week and put funds aside. Paul then tells them that a gift from the church will go to Jerusalem to help the saints there. In 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, we see generous Christians supporting others. Four times in those two chapters, the word generous or generosity is used to describe the giving of the saints. In Philippians 4, that great chapter in which Paul speaks of rejoicing, not being anxious, praying, and how God will supply uh, all your needs according to his riches and glory, he also gives us a direct example of how the Philippians sent aid for Paul's needs. Other churches didn't give. Paul commends these saints for their generosity. According to Philippians 1, Paul is writing this epistle from prison, most likely from Rome, yet in chapter 4, he is recalling a previous time in either his second or third missionary journey when the church at Philippi gave to sustain him. There are many charitable agencies around the world. The problem with many of them is they are not centered around the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church's charity should have the ultimate goal of bringing glory to God. I want us to make an application right here for us. Do your works show a true faith in Jesus Christ? Are you motivated to give generously, show mercy, and invest relationally with those who have great need? Should we give money? Yes, we should. In some ways, that's easy. We live in a world with great needs. There are people in this congregation who have great needs. They may have monetary needs, but there are also spiritual needs. There are medical needs. There are babysitting needs. Invest in the lives of others in this church. 
That's a good work you can do. You can do it today. You can do it tomorrow. You can do it next week. You can do it next month. Invest in the lives of others. So in our passage in James, he uses four examples to emphasize the importance of having good works accompany our faith. In verses 14, excuse me, 14 through 17, which we've touched on already, he speaks of those who have practical needs. We might call this a faith which will provide. Food and clothing and the responsibility of believers to be there to provide mercy. The Christian church is to provide mercy. The second example is found in James 2.19 when he reminds us that just believing in God is not adequate. The demons believe in God and they tremble. They do not have a belief in God that is a true faith in the salvation provided by God in Christ alone. We might call this a faith denied. An intellectual faith in God is not a trusting faith. It's not a faith which has touched the heart and touched the soul. Maybe that's the faith of someone like Judas Iscariot. Maybe this is the faith of someone like Demas, whom the, Paul, the Apostle Paul described in 2 Timothy 4, uh, 10 as one who deserted him. Maybe this is the faith of a couple of those described in the parable of the sower found in Mark chapter 4. Jesus tells us in Mark 4, 16 through 19, there are those who immediately receive the word with joy, but they had no root. They endured for a while, and then when trials or persecutions came, they fell away. Or it could be another group of people. These heard the word, but the cares of the world, including riches and worldly desires, came in and choked the word that was heard. In each of these cases, there is no long-term and persevering faith that endures to the end. Works that should accompany, accompany faith were not present. This faith is a head knowledge faith. Dr. Weinberger was a professor back in college. He was a religion professor. Dr. Weinberger gave a wonderful exposition of Romans chapter 3 and Romans chapter 4. A friend of mine was taking this class. He said he could have played that or he could have taped that class and played it to his Sunday school uh, class the next Sunday because Dr. Weinberger knew exactly what Paul's view of justification by faith was. He had it right. Dr. Weinberger was a Jewish rabbi. He did not believe. He did not believe what Paul said in Romans 3 and Romans 4. He knew the words. He could teach it. He could say what it meant. He could quote it. Maybe that's who you are today. 
Maybe you're a person who can quote John 3.16. Maybe you're a person who can go to the book of Romans and quote the key verses there about us being sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God. Or the wages of sin is death. You know, whatever the words are, you can probably quote them. But do you know Christ is your Savior? That's what's important. Maybe those words haven't penetrated your heart. Maybe your heart is still a heart of stone, as was referred to in Ezekiel. The third example given by James is about Abraham. What the Bible is teaching this section is the faith of Abraham that was displayed in Genesis uh, chapter 22 when Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac. In essence, Abraham's faith was put on full display when he was willing to sacrifice his son. In James 2 verse 22, the apostle says, Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? His faith was made complete because he had faith in God. Abraham was declared to be righteous because he had faith in God. Because of his righteousness, Abraham was seeking to please God. We might call this faith supplied, a supplied faith. We are reminded that God supplied an adequate sacrifice for Abraham. Paul in Romans chapter 4 verses 1 through 4 talks about the justifying faith of Abraham that was seen back in Genesis 15 when the Bible says Abram believed the Lord, he believed God, he believed Yahweh, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Paul says in Romans 4 that if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about but not before God. Is that you today? If you believe you're justified by your works, you may have something to boast about, but not before God. The fourth example that James talks about in this chapter is about Rahab. Rahab had a lot of strikes against her. She was a Canaanite, She was a harlot, and she was a flat-out liar. Yet God refers to her in Hebrews chapter 11 as one with faith. She had faith. She became a believer. We might call this faith applied. The point is that God works justification in the hearts of his people. He changes their lives and they respond to him. Colossians 1.10 says, To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. As we come to a conclusion of today's message, let me challenge each and every one of you each and every one of you to walk worthy, bear fruit in every good work. 
just as I read in Colossians 1.10. What did it say? To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Bear fruit in every good work and increase in the knowledge, in the knowledge of God. And if you increase in the knowledge of God, you will walk worthy, bear fruit, and further increase in the knowledge of God. And if you will do that, you will once again walk worthy, bear fruit in every good work, and increase in the knowledge of God. And the only way for you to do this is to know Christ as your Savior, is to rely on Him for the forgiveness of your sins. My question to you today is, have you done this? The Bible teaches that today is the day of salvation. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, let me urge you today to follow him, to seek him. I'll be glad to talk to you afterwards. We have elders and deacons here who will be glad to talk to you afterwards. But today is the day of salvation. Follow Christ. Let's pray. Our great God and heavenly Father, we thank you that we are able to come before you this day to worship you in spirit and in truth. And Father, I do pray that something said here today would touch the life of someone who does not know you. That something said here today would encourage the person who is struggling. That something said here today would penetrate a heart to serve you and to follow you. I pray in Christ's name, amen.